This is Paul, and I'm at Cloud Connect with Sinclair Schuler, CEO of Apprenda. Sinclair, thanks for joining me. Why don't you go ahead and give us just a little bit of background about yourself? Great. Thanks, Paul. So I come from a software development background. I'm CEO of a company now, but my focus in life uh, prior to, to being CEO of Apprenda and co-founding it was building apps. And specifically, I worked in the context of enterprise IT. So I'd be part of teams that would be responsible for taking business requirements from, say, investment bankers or accountants inside the banks that I worked in, and we'd have to build an application to represent those requirements. Uh, so I built a lot of kind of experience around what the pitfalls are of enterprise IT, what the app development processes are like, and what are the challenges from an architecture and software development point of view that they had. We kind of took those pitfalls, my co-founders and I, and started Apprenda with the goal of could we make it easier for developers in enterprise IT to deploy applications, get rid of some of the intricacies related to, say, provisioning uh, infrastructure to, to have the application deployed to, dealing with load balancers, all the mechanics required in sort of that deployment model, and then second, could we, in that same technology layer, uh, create APIs and frameworks that would equip developers to build highly complex apps in record time, right? Uh, we want everybody to be as productive as possible. And part of that productivity is the deployment tasks of applications, but another part of that is helping people build the kind of modern cloud applications that they're shooting to build without having to deal with all the complexity. And I think that's just a huge part of what's going on in the market right now, and uh, Apprentice focuses on that. We've done it through Platform as a Service, uh, this layer that I was referring to, Apprenda. Um, we focused on building a Platform as a Service layer that can be layered on top of any data center, and it would take the resources of the, that data center, the load balancers, the Windows Server operating systems, and uh, aggregate them into a resource pool that could be exposed to developers as a self-service computing platform where they get access to the deployment mechanics, the APIs, and the frameworks to make their lives easier. And so you, you touched on a lot there, the platform as a service, of course, is a focus for Apprenda, um, but platform as a service, is, it's an interesting topic because it seems to be evolving. I know we went through a long period there, and in some ways we're still in it, with infrastructure as a service, you know, lots of definitions, maybe competing definitions, and then some maybe religious wars along the lines of, you know, is a private cloud a cloud? Yeah. Or is it only public cloud? What about hybrid clouds and all that? And now um, platform as a service seems to be gaining traction and there's maybe different approaches. What sort of approaches are, are you seeing out there? Different different forks, I think you called them. Yeah, yeah. There are different uh, a few different architecture models for what platform as a service is. And it's actually okay. You know, being at an evolutionary stage, this is to be expected. Some people get frustrated, but this is the, the growing pains that any industry goes through. And uh, we kind of bucket platform as a service into, into a few different categories. One is... Um, for lack of a better term, not to be pejorative, but it's a bit of a cloud wash, right? They'll take uh, an architecture of virtualization, wrap it with some automation and templating, and uh, it will instantiate VMs for you on the fly. That is sometimes referred to as platform as a service. We typically look at that as stack automation. Its, it's emphasis is on prepping operating systems and getting those operating systems in a ready state to accept an application deployment. Uh, that has value. It's not something that has no value, just that it's tactical value. It doesn't strategically change the behaviors of developers or IT. So that's the first bucket, and that the stack automation pass, I think, is something that um, was more prevalent a year ago or two years ago. We're seeing less of that now going forward. Uh, then I think you have two other primary categories of PaaS, or three, rather. Uh, you have the force.com variety, which is the rapid application development paths. It tends to be very use case specific. In their case, it's, uh, it's best of breed for things like extending their CRM product, uh, Salesforce. So there's power to that. It has a very specific use case, but it's not general purpose. Uh, what we shoot for, and this is kind of the next two categories, is the general purpose pass. Can we help the kind of aggregate uh, group of developers across a stack do better work, build better applications, deploy the applications in a, in a saner way without all the friction. Now, that sort of PaaS, its focus is very horizontal. 
there are tons of applications written any given day, the pass should participate in that application building process at some point. Now, the two buckets that live in there are uh, either polyglot, which is um, support for lots and lots of languages and lots and lots of stacks, or best of breed stack, which it's, uh, it's a deep play. It looks at one stack and says, we have to put emphasis on the depth of this stack and make it the best possible platform for anybody writing code here. Um, so that's the category we live in. We're focused on .NET applications, and we think best-of-breed approaches tend to be the, the most appropriate way to tackle this, but they also generate the most value. The polyglot pass, which is the, the other variety I was referring to, tends to focus more on the deployment tasks. Can we help a app developer and the IT staff kind of marry uh, the application to the infrastructure? And that's the only thing you can do because that's the lowest common denominator across all stacks. It's pushing bits to servers. Um, in the best of read, you kind of have a different approach and it isn't focused or the emphasis isn't exclusively on the deployment tasks. And let me ask you your thoughts on some other parts of the development life cycle. Maybe some pass environments might be either integrated with an IDE or provide an online IDE. So, so there's the develop, that sort of angle of the development. Maybe there's even the build process. There's some tools out there that can allow people to build software in the cloud even if they have their IDE back on premise. Do you think those are important elements of PaaS or will they become important elements of PaaS in the future? I think they will. They, they help uh, define the end-to-end -end story, right? So when you think about the end-to-end -end story in PaaS, you kind of start in your IDE. It's writing code. And there are two things you can provide value with there. One is integrations that um, help the transition from code to kind of in the cloud, whether it be private or public. We won't get into that just yet. but. Uh, I think it's super important. The second way that you can impact and deliver value to the developer in the IDE is providing frameworks and APIs that commoditize some really complex work. Um, and it, not to talk about Apprenda, but to, it's kind of a good case in point. We're one of the few passes that emphasizes that. We took certain classes of applications like multi-tenant SaaS apps, which you see both in enterprises when they write external customer-facing apps or internal SaaS apps, as well as ISVs. That class of application is very difficult to build. To build multi-tenancy correctly is very hard. To build scalability around multi-tenancy is very hard. We've, through our APIs and frameworks, created a um, capability in the platform that would allow a developer to write very standard .NET code as if it was single-tenant. And using those APIs, they essentially have multi-tenancy baked in by the platform. So the goal there in the IDE is emphasis on reducing the number of lines of code you have to write to get an unbelievable outcome. So I think you start there, right? The next piece is deploying the application, this end-to-end -end story. And from the IDE, you can push an application to a cloud. That isn't a requirement, but it's a big nice to have. There are other approaches. You can have command line tools. You can log into a web portal where you upload the application. To me, it's not an interesting value point. It's one that is a, is a great nice to have if you have the full end-to-end -end integration. But it isn't the thing that it, you know, keeps the developer up at night. Like, oh, geez, how am I going to deploy my app? Am I going to do it through a portal or a command line? But having that transition state is important. And then uh, third is the runtime piece, right? So when the application's in that PaaS cloud, what does it get? Does it get just scalability and HA, or does it get new behaviors that make it a better application over time? Is the application enhanced by virtue of running on it? And that's, I think, kind of the, the three big moving parts. And then the last is the end of the life cycle, or the, the kind of circular part. Do I need to scale it out? Do I need to release new features? Am I going to patch the application? So to me, PaaS does span all of those things. And how about test? You know, that's not necessarily too integral to the development process. Well, I guess it is before you go to production and so on. Do you think that's going to be an important part of the, the life cycle or part of past solutions? It will be because what happens with, uh, with an application is anytime it has any sort of stage transition, whether it's from the development environment to test or from test to production or test to staging to production, that's a friction point that if a PaaS doesn't help make that transition, 
uh, the developer will find themselves in a little bit of pain. Again, it's not something that will keep them up at night, but it's kind of why would you introduce friction around that? So test will be important. And then second, from a, from a PaaS perspective, if the PaaS is very rich, if the PaaS enhances an application to be better, right? So as I was describing earlier, when yeah. you're building and deploying an app on Apprenda, your app can become multi-tenant even if you wrote it single-tenant, and that's on the platform. You want to test that behavior on the platform. So the PaaS needs to understand that there's testing phases in this process so you can get comfortable. And one of the best ways you can do that is actually make the PaaS downloadable. What we've done is we said, well, we don't, we don't offer a service. We offer the platform layer specifically. Our enterprise customers will install Apprenda in their data center. They'll offer the PaaS to their internal uh, .NET developers. Any developer can run that entire stack on their laptop. We've had that for a couple of years now, and it's probably the best way you can get testing kind of uh, methodologies in place on the developer's workstation. And it just sort of reminded me, I mean, we talk about platform as a service. Everything yeah. is as a service these days. Yet what I'm seeing in PaaS a lot is a lot of solutions aren't necessarily directly as a service. Like you said, give them your offering, let them download it, and perhaps there's an as a service internally delivered. Um, any more thoughts on whether PaaS needs to be or should be an as a service? I don't think it should be exclusively. In fact, I think that's a, that's a terrible thing because yeah. there's a severe level of lock in there. If you, if you build an application and you deploy it to a PaaS that only has a service, You've made a commitment not just to the APIs of that PaaS, but you've also locked yourself into the operating model. Now, the APIs are very static. You can make a decision at the time that you decide to use the PaaS and say, I really like the way these things work, and I've tested them, and they don't fall apart. Day one, the service could be great. What happens on day 30, day 60, day 90? So if service starts to go south, that's something that's constantly being reevaluated. You're now coupled not just to the APIs, but to the operating model. So what I'd like to see in the market, and this is, this is the angle we pursued, is that the PaaS should be a stack. The PaaS should be runnable anywhere. Uh, we have customers who deploy it on EC2. We have customers who run it in their own data center. We could have a customer who decides to offer a public PaaS version of Apprenda. That's totally up to them. Um, so I think that reduces a lot of the lock-in risk. And I think uh, the as-a-service model is the appropriate model to consume the PaaS, but not to deliver it. That really helps a lot. Yeah. Why don't we dive in a little bit now to that runtime component? Because I know that's where a lot of the value that Apprenda adds is delivered. Do you want to describe the runtime environment? So um, I'll, let me expand a bit on those two definitions that we were talking about. In PaaS, the predominant approach right now has been, and the story and the value story has been around, we help you deploy apps with blazing speed. So if I'm inside a big bank or a pharmaceutical company and I'm consuming my internal PaaS or I'm using a public PaaS, as a developer, the first thing I think about is, okay, wow, so now I can go from you know my compiled code to deployed in a PaaS cloud in a matter of seconds, right? I don't have to wait 90 days for a server to be provisioned and you know somebody configured it wrong and it's not working now. Instead, button click and you're ready to go or command line execution, you're ready to go. Those PaaSs tend to not have a runtime component. They focus on the front end of the lifecycle. Now, Apprenda on the runtime component side means that when the application is deployed, the platform is actively helping your application execute and enhancing it to be better, right? The way the Apprenda runtime works is that we literally take things like SQL Server, IIS, our own custom hosting containers in .NET, and we change the way they behave a little bit. We allow those components to function in a big distributed way inside the data center so they can coordinate amongst each other and do work on the application's behalf all the time, not just at deploy time. So a good example is let's say that you want to build a multi-tenant. When you build it for Apprenda, you write a single-tenant app, data model is single-tenant, the UIs, the web services, all of them are single-tenant. When it's deployed on the platform, the platform knows who's consuming the application. It's monitoring all this all the time. 
and it knows how to route data and bucket it for specific customers so that uh, customer A doesn't see customer B's data. It's checking for performance requirements. It's uh, isolating CPU usage and memory. So it's actively doing things on the app's behalf. And it's interesting because that's how computing has been. PaaS in the, in the variety I described earlier is actually kind of new. Application servers like JBoss and Tomcat, operating systems, uh, things like the JBM and the CLR are all active participants in the app's execution, not passive. So to me, it's a bit awkward to see a lot of passive vendors fo focusing on a passive deploy model, as opposed to being the .NET of the future or the JBoss of the future. How does this apply to either existing applications or applications that someone would build from, from scratch? Does it yeah. apply equally, differently? No, it applies equally, but um, the, the approach to get onboarded is different, right? So when we typically engage with somebody around Apprenda, especially the larger enterprises, they'll have a thousand applications internally, of which maybe 600.NET or 300.NET. They want to get some cloud value out of those applications. They like the deployment and management ease of cloud. So what Apprenda can do in that situation is we're very, very tuned around taking existing .NET IP and running it in a cloud way, so to cloudify those applications, so to speak. Now, if those applications are not modified from a source code perspective, then their value is, uh, is kind of limited to the fundamentals of cloud, helping the application scale, helping it be available, helping its deployment ease, and potentially some things around like authentication. If those applications are in some sort of lifecycle where they're going to be modified, there are new requirements that come down the pipeline, then developers might use our APIs to enhance the application a little more and get tons of those additional benefits on top of that. Now that is a bit more like the Greenfield applications. What will typically happen is if somebody wants to build a new app for Apprenda, they'll sit down and say, well, here are my requirements. I need distributed caching. I need multi-tenancy. I need a publish subscribe system because the application is going to rely on events to be scalable. And they start knocking those things out and they compare it to what Apprenda provides and they say, oh, there's an API for that, there's an API for that, there's an API for that. So the Greenfield process is a lot of compare and contrast with the platform services, selecting what you need and then focusing exclusively on your business logic, nothing else. Um, so we try, we try to get rid of a lot of the headache for the developers so they're not kind of mired in the, the intricacies of building complex architectures. What are some of the additional capabilities that an application can gain with Apprenda? So yeah. additional scale, additional redundancy? So actually, it's a great question. And let me, let me reframe it just a little bit. Two main parties that interface with Apprenda. One is the IT operator or the platform owner. Who's running the pass, right, and offering it to the development staff or publicly to developers worldwide? Second is the developer who's consuming the pass. So on the developer side, the capabilities focus on uh, helping applications become highly scalable, on helping them become highly available, on multi-tenancy for those applications if they need it, authentication and authorization, uh, distributed caching, published subscribe system, application monitoring, and centralized logging. So these are all subsystems of the platform that if you're an app dev, you kind of come into this world where you have all of these nuts and bolts parts that you can tap into and get rid of all that noise from your development process. So that when former Sinclair working at Morgan Stanley is told, go build an accounting app, I'm actually building an accounting app, not building all the things that I'm needing to then build the accounting On the platform owner side, the people who run the PaaS, we provide tons of functionality around actually being able to deliver a service, right? So we want the PaaS to be delivered as a service. That means the owner needs the capability to define who can actually be onboarded, what development teams are allowed to use it, how is the infrastructure going to be sliced and diced so they can define things like CPU, memory, disk, and storage policies so that those can get published to developers and those developers can say, hey, I want my app to have a gigahertz CPU and two gigs of RAM. Um, the, the platform owner is given all of that centralized policy control so they can shape the offering itself so when developers get onboarded, the experience is unique to that policy shaping. Is there anything else you'd like to add in terms of platform as a service? 
Yeah, I think a big thing is just uh, 2012. We kind of look at what happened in 2011. This is true for Apprenda, and I also think it's true for a lot of the market. Uh, there was a lot of exploration happening at the beginning of 2011 around PaaS. Private PaaS, which is the, you know, we're not really in the private PaaS arena. We enable private PaaS, right? We enable any PaaS, but private PaaS specifically has started kind of taking hold in a lot of enterprise discussions. I think that was driven by developers who wanted the public PaaS experience but were barred from using it by their IT staff. Now the next question became, can you give me an internal alternative to that? So the exploration of private PaaS really started kicking into high, high year Q2 of last year. And at the end of last year, we started seeing some very, very interesting activity around companies adopting it and building their first production deployments internally around it. So when I look at that curve where we are in the adoption cycle, 2012 is a pretty interesting point because we hit that inflection mark where it's no longer about exploration and it's about taking action. And we see it today. We see many, many more companies now downloading our platform for free off, uh, off of Apprenda.com and installing it and testing it out and saying, hey, we want to move forward with a bigger deployment. We want to work with the Apprenda guys. I think you're going to see that across the PaaS industry. And I'll th I think you'll see a bit of an inversion where a lot of the emphasis before was public PaaS. It'll almost all be private PaaS at this point. And I think that doesn't mean public PaaS is bad. It's just where the market is. And I think actually that'll encourage people to adopt public PaaS a little later on. That's great insight. And if people want more information, give them your Twitter handle. Yeah, Twitter handle is schuler. It's S-S-C-H-U-L-L-E-R. And uh, feel free to shoot me a note or drop by Apprenda.com. Thanks, Sinclair. Appreciate your time here today. Great. Thank you, Paul.